Welcome to Moments to Ponder, a podcast designed to help you spend a few moments in God's Word, breathe, and take away something to ponder. I'm Betsy Marvin, and I'm grateful for these few moments we have together to go through the book of Esther. This is episode 68 and the beginning of the 10th series in this podcast. My fascination with history really came alive in college. In fact, I enjoyed it so much I majored in it. There's something about those that have gone before us that just draws me. Whether hundreds or thousands of years ago, I find learning about cultural and historical context in which people lived, along with their belief systems and their family lives, these things help us discover the lessons that their lives can teach us. In the Bible, there are a lot of books, and they're organized by genre. The first is the Torah or the Law, and the second grouping is called the Historical Books or Narrative Literature. These books tell us the stories of the Israelites who are God's people, and the final book in this set is titled Esther. Esther is one of only two books in the Bible named after a woman. I've been pondering why I'm drawn to this story. I mean, it's not necessarily full of nice things. There's violence and murder and betrayal. There's sex and drinking. But there's also love and loyalty, trust and courage. It's a story of a woman that, despite her circumstances and because of her circumstances, played a critical role in the story of God's people. Esther had no idea how her life would change from a simple girl living with her uncle and aunt to becoming the queen of a vast empire and find the love of a king. It's quite a story. These events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. At that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days, a tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. When it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people, from the greatest to the least, who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted for seven days, and it was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. The courtyard was beautifully decorated, with white cotton curtains and blue hangings, were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons to silver rings embedded in marble pillars. Gold and silver couches stood on a mosaic pavement of pofari, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs, and there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on drinking, for the king had instructed all his palace officials 
to serve each man as he wanted. At the same time, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, he told the seven eunuchs who attended him, Mahuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abitha, Zathar, and Caracas, to bring Queen Vashti to him with a royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. He immediately consulted his wise advisors who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he always asked their advice. The names of these men were Karshina, Shethar, Edmandan, Tarshish, Marys, Marcina, and Memekan, seven nobles of Persia and Media. They met with the king regularly and held the highest positions in the empire. What must be done to Queen Vashti, the king demanded. What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders, properly sent through his eunuchs? Memekin answered the king and his nobles. Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger. So, if it pleases the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. The king and his nobles thought this made good sense, so he followed Mumikin's counsel. He sent letters to all parts of the empire, to each province in its own script and language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. Esther, chapter 1. It's important to note as we begin that God isn't mentioned anywhere in the entire book of Esther. This has caused some hard conversations as the Bible was being put together, and even today, yet there is no denying the work of God throughout the entire book and the importance of this story in the life of the Jewish people. As a historical book, this opening chapter gives us the time frame, the place, and the backdrop of our story. Ahasuerus' Greek name is Xerxes. So in some versions, we see Ahasuerus as king and some Xerxes. I'm going to go with Xerxes. He's Xerxes I, 
also known as Xerxes the Great, the son of Darius the Great, and he ruled from 486 to 465 BC, about 21 years. He was extremely wealthy and powerful, and as we enter the story, he is enjoying the southern palace with his top officials in the city of Susa, which today would be Iraq. In 483 BC, the Jewish people would have been in exile in Babylon, or Persia, for about a hundred years. They have lived and prospered among the Persians with the freedoms to practice their faith, have businesses, and have lived peaceably among them. When Zerubbabel is given permission to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, almost 50,000 Israelites go with him. But many Jewish people stay behind, and in Susa, they had lives built there. Esther's descendants are some of these people. For reference, Esther's story occurs between the time of Daniel, under the Persian king Darius, who was Xerxes' father, and before Ezra and Nehemiah, under Artaxerxes, who is this Xerxes' son. The two banquets that begin our story occurred in the third year of his reign. The six months of feasting with the powerful people and a week of intense partying with everyone probably had a purpose, which was most likely a ploy to gain the support for his planned invasion of Greece. This invasion would be costly at many levels and he would have needed them all behind him as he sought more land and power. The description of this southern palace is amazing, isn't it? I mean, imagine all the gold and silver, the colorful blue and white cloth with purple ribbons, and the the flowing wines and the beautiful food, the marble pillars and the crystal and pearl floors. Ah, it would be opulent even today. In the late 1800s, the palace at Susa was discovered by French archaeologists. They found it was over two and a half acres big. Oh my goodness. And they found so many pieces that were astonishing that there are whole rooms in the Louvre just for these artifacts. But can you imagine a feast that lasts a month, let alone six months? The indulgence, the obscene amount of food that would have been served, And it's in this setting that the proud, drunk king decides to show off his gorgeous wife, Queen Vashti. And she says no. There are so many different commentaries with thoughts on why the queen refuses to parade in front of a bunch of drunk men. But whatever the reason, I have to admire her courage. Making big decisions while drunk Never a good idea. But after conferring with all his wise men, the king passes a new law about women obeying their husbands and men being rulers in their homes. He also exiles Vashti, whom he will never see again. I'm sure in the moment, the head officials along with the king thought this would be such a great law. But I'm not so sure it went over well when they all got home that night. Vashti's stand, although brave, does cost her the throne, which sets the stage for our story. After this part of the story in chapter 1, there is a four-year break until it picks back up in chapter 2. During that time, Xerxes will invade Greece and fail miserably. He returns to his kingdom lonely, 
probably with his tail between his legs, and he's a king with no queen. The purposes of God are fascinating mystery to me. God is always in that work of preparation for the future, and our problem is that we don't know what the future holds, and thus we don't understand the work God is doing in our lives. I'm sure Esther had no idea what was about to happen to her. But God was at work behind the scenes, fulfilling purposes that will be seen in times to come. Esther is one of those kinds of stories where God is laying out years in advance his purposes that are to be fulfilled at a strategic moment in history. You know, this is important for us to remember. God sees a broader work, an overarching purpose that we're unable to see until we have hindsight. God today may be putting things in place that you'll understand five, maybe even ten years down the road, and then you'll be able to see his guiding and his work. This is where faith and trust come in. Trusting in his purposes and having faith that he will work all things for good. Can you trust that God is at work in and around you today? Jeremiah, years before Esther, told the people, God has plans to give you a hope and a future. It was true for them, and it's true for us. May you look back on your life and see God's hand and how it's been a part of your story. And may your heart hold on to the truth that he is still working to give you hope and a future. Amen.